Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Well, hey there, church family. I hope that you're doing well. I hope wherever you're watching this, uh, that you're healthy. Um, I'm hope, hoping that you're actually together with some other people, that you're not actually uh, participating in this alone, but maybe you're with some village, uh, with your village or your community. Uh, maybe you're with some family and friends that you're actually experiencing being the church together and not just watching church online. Uh, wherever you are, we see you, we value you, and we're so thankful that you uh, would, uh, would be a part of our church family and pursuing the way of Jesus. And so uh, we hope that this morning you'll encounter the Lord through what we're about to, what I'm about to share. For the next couple months, I want us to dial in and do somewhat of a reset on who it is that we are meant to be as followers of Jesus and who it is that we are becoming. What is it that we are put here to do on this planet? Now, like these are really huge questions that philosophers and poets and songwriters and theologians and people and all different kinds of traditions have explored. So I'm not going to get like into this really, really deep uh, kind of philosophical question about that. It's a, it's a, these are kinds of questions that we could go incredibly deep and wide and we just don't, we're not going to do that. Actually, what we want to do is just kind of get clear about a few things that we can actually do something about, that we can be in this moment. And why is that? Why do I think that we need to do that? Well, we live in probably one of the most contentious times that we could ever imagine. Uh, right now, it just feels like over the last six to eight months, our world has just been turned upside down. It's a, it's a contentious time. There's uh, a, a lot of us and them, them language, a lot of black versus white language, or maybe black versus blue language, or maybe it's red versus blue, or there's people who are rageful and offended by everything. And then there are people who are indifferent and don't care or kind of just um, uh, unmoved by the, by the pain and the situation uh, of, the, of the world. Um, and, and in all of this, um, in the middle of all of that noise and all of that chaos, what we shouldn't find is... Followers of Jesus, people who follow the way of Jesus, contributing to that noise, being a part of all of that chaos, descending and, and kind of participating in, the, in all of the chaos of the world. What we should find instead is people who are following the way of Jesus, looking like Jesus to a world that's crying out for Jesus crying out for his kingdom to come. What we should find if we were looking at just Christians and how are we meant to be in the middle of this crisis that's going on in the world with a pandemic and all the racial tensions and all the political tensions, what we should find is Christians who are being salt and light, like Jesus said. Salt that actually adds flavor or draws out the flavor that's in something when it's added to it, or preserves something. Or we should be light, which illuminates and actually exposes both what's good and bad. That should be our function uh, as a church. And, and to some degree, followers of Jesus, and even here locally, we're doing that, and in some, in some ways, we're not. 
And my point in, in, in kind of pursuing this for the next little bit isn't necessarily to kind of give us a critique or a corrective. It's just a tune-up, just to say, man, who are we? Who are we meant to be? Who are we meant to become? We should be standing out in the middle of all the noise and all the chaos as people who point the way to Jesus the King and to a better way of his kingdom. Now, all of that sounds good. And yeah, like, yes, there's a few of you who would argue, yes, that's what we should be as a church. But if we're going to get back to kind of being that, if we're going to make sure we're that, then we've got to get to kind of the clear point of what is essential for us to be and what it is essential for us to know. And here's the thing I want us to press into. Actually, we're going to press into this over a period of time. We're going to focus on it in different ways. The main thing for us as followers of Jesus is love. It's love. We have to remember that love is what we are called to have. Love is what we are called to do. And love is what we are called to be. We are meant to become love. So whatever else is going on in the world, we always should come back to this anchor of love, that we are people who are becoming love, that we are, as the series title is going to say, have the opportunity to choose love in each and every situation. Now, don't just take my word for it. There's this exchange that happens in an episode with Jesus in Luke chapter 10. So if you want to follow along with us, you can do that. Turn to Luke chapter 10. We're starting in verse 25. Here's what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law came up or stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So here we're going to press into this today and then for the next little bit. So here's this man who is probably a man of very wealthy means. He is um, a person who is probably a part of the priestly class in Judaism. It says here that he was a lawyer or a lawkeeper. It doesn't mean that he was um, uh, legally defending people in a court of law, but he was an expert in the Old Testament law. He knew God's word and knew how to apply it. He would have had the whole thing memorized, kind of almost like backward and forward. Uh, he knew not only what was written in the Bible and the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, but he also knew what the rabbis had taught about this and what the additional laws uh, had come up with. He knew all of this. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now for us, that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds primarily like he's asking, how do I get to heaven when I die? Um, and there's a part of this question, what can I do to inherit eternal life, that is about the afterlife. It is about how do I make sure that I secure salvation for myself and for my family. It was a part of that. But actually in this world and in this time, asking this kind of question wasn't just a question about the afterlife. It's actually about the totality of life. It actually is a question that's like this. What is the meaning of life? in this life. 
That's essentially what this person is asking Jesus. What must I do to experience the fullness of life? I know that there will be something that will come that will be a fullness of life. But for the Hebrew mind, for the Jewish mind at this time, they're asking this question, how can I experience the fullness that, of the life that God has for me right here and now? How do I get that? Now, on the surface, this seems like a really noble question. So again, that poets and theologians and philosophers have asked throughout the centuries, what is the meaning of life? And it seems like this person, this is a valid question to come to Jesus saying, how, what can I do to have that kind of life? But what we learn from the story is that this man isn't coming with curiosity. He's not coming because he sees Jesus as a great teacher and wants to learn from him how to have a better life. Instead, it says that he came to test Jesus that he came to somehow entrap Jesus. He came to see not just if Jesus had wisdom or knowledge to offer. The word test here doesn't mean that. It actually means something like he came to try to trap Jesus in his own words, to try to discredit Jesus. And actually, we find out kind of just before we have the story of the Good Samaritan, that this person was trying to justify himself, that he was trying to make himself look righteous and good in front of other people. That is why he comes with this question. Now, Jesus sees straight through this. He sees that this person's motives in coming to him don't, aren't born out of curiosity, aren't born out of a place of really wanting to discover what life is all about, but instead to try to trap Jesus. And so, so Jesus uh, does what Jesus so often does. He doesn't, um, um, he doesn't answer the, que the question with an answer. Instead, he turns around and asks him a question. And, in, and said, okay, what do you say? How do you read the scriptures? He's, he asked what he asked him. What does the law say? How do you read it? Which wasn't to say, just recite back to me what it says, but he was actually asking the man, this lawgiver, Jesus is asking him, how do you understand what the word of God has to say? How do you understand it? And Jesus sees right through this guy's kind of questioning and his testing and instead of answering with that answer, he actually answers with the question. Classic Jesus move here. Like he, uh, he just turns it right around and begins to probe and question the man. Just as a way of an aside, I just want to name something because I think it's important. So many times we come to God with our questions. And what we discover if Jesus is really exposes what God is really like is that so many times God isn't indifferent to our questions. It's not that he doesn't care about our questions. It's just that God sees behind what our question, the questions we have to the motives of our heart. And so he's less concerned about making sure that we have all the right answers to all of our questions and more concerned about the motives in our heart that are prompting those questions we have. Be it, why did this bad thing happen? Or God, why are you like this? Or why is my life this way? Or why are you like this? It doesn't really matter what the question is. God is more concerned about the motives and the why we're asking the question than he is that we have those kind of answers to those questions. And again, not that he's indifferent to that, because sometimes those questions come from a place of pain. I've certainly asked a lot of those myself. But many times in this instance, it's actually a, 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 like a form of self-protection. And that's clearly what Jesus sees in this man. There's actually some other motive 
in this man's heart behind asking this question rather than genuine curiosity. And so I just want you to know that sometimes if you're asking God a question, you're seeking clarity about something and it feels like you're not getting that answer to that question, you are not alone. You're not alone. And it's not that God doesn't care about you, that he doesn't see you, that he doesn't know you. It's just that many, many times there's actually something for you to discover about who you are and about who he is that can only be discovered in a process of probing our own heart of learning and seeing what's in our heart. So that's, a, that's just an aside. That's not the main thing, but I want us to see that in Jesus because it happens so many times for us. So let's get back to the story. The man answers Jesus because Jesus throws this question back at him and he answers by putting together two verses. So when he says, how do you read the law? How do you understand it? The man, this expert in the law says this, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And then adds this other verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this idea of loving God, this totality, was actually embedded into the mind of the Jewish people. It's in the Shema, this, uh, this phrase that they would recite every day, first thing in the morning, this, uh, this, our call to love God. And then this other part was very well known, but as far as we know, no one until the time of Jesus puts these two ideas together, loving God and loving people, the way that Jesus does. Now, in this story that's recorded in Luke, it comes out of the man's mouth rather than Jesus's mouth. So it's the man who says, this is how I understand it and read it. But in Matthew and Mark, it's Jesus who says these things when another person comes and questions, asks him a similar question about what's the meaning of all the law and prophets? What's the greatest command? And Jesus answers uh, with this exact phrase. So what's going on here? Well, it's likely that this teacher of the law had been following Jesus around place to place with his disciples, was observing and participating in the teachings of Jesus. And he's heard Jesus give this turn of phrase before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's heard Jesus say this before. And when the opportunity comes up, he's like, okay, what answer do I think that Jesus wants? Because I'm going to try to trap him even, even further. So he gives Jesus' own answer back to him. This is what it's all about. Let's see what Jesus actually has to say about this. And we don't know that for sure, but it seems like that fits the evidence because before the time of Jesus, we don't have anybody that at least I'm aware of that's putting these streams of thought together in this package the way that Jesus does. And either, and in any case, it doesn't matter. He gives this answer to Jesus and Jesus agrees with him. Yes, you have said it. <laughs> Go and do this. You have nailed it. You have nailed the meaning of life. True life is found in loving God and loving our neighbors. And when we hear this in, in Jesus' own mouth and his own lips in Matthew and Mark, this is how Jesus says all of the law and the prophets can be summed up this way. This is where it's all pointing to. Go and do this, Jesus tells the man. Now, that's a pretty radical statement that the whole Bible is teaching this one lesson, this two-sided coin of loving God and loving people. The whole of scripture is teaching that. You know, and for us, I think it can sound so familiar. We know this. We've heard this passage over and over and over again if you're around church. It can seem elementary. It can seem so kind of like simplistic. 
so we just kind of say, yes, I agree with that. I know that's what Jesus is about. And we move on. But the truth is, this is like earth was and is earth shattering, kind of ground shaking news that the whole of scripture is all about love. That all that God has been doing in all of human history and all of earth's history is all being summed up in this teaching of love. The whole Bible, everything that God has done from creation and Adam to Moses to David, all the way through to Jesus and up to you and I, it's all been about love. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's summed up in the idea of loving God and loving people. It's interesting. It's not about holiness. He could have said that. It's not about glory. He could have said that. Those things are important. The holiness of God, the glory of God. It's not about peace. It's not about hope, although those are really good things. It's not about mission or discipleship, although those are good things. It's not about worship. The whole thing is about love. The whole thing. I mean, think about it. This is Jesus' one opportunity to say, what is it all about? And he comes up with, it's about love. This whole exchange with this expert of the law reveals something interesting. But this idea that it's all about love wasn't a mystery. It was right there in plain sight the whole time. The man himself, whether he comes up with this on his own or heard it from Jesus' lips, Jesus is clearly saying like this, this has been there all along. The problem isn't that you didn't know <laughs> that it was all about loving God and loving people. The problem isn't that you didn't know that you were called to love and to be people of. The problem is that for all kinds of reasons, love is not easy, at least not this kind of love. This kind of love is a comprehensive, immersive, expansive, uh, I, I mean, use whatever big words you want to use, kind of an all-encompassing, a demanding kind of love. It's, it's both painful uh, and good. It's both beautiful and messy all at the same time. That is this kind of love. And that kind of love isn't simple and it isn't easy. Even in this instance, the man who says, it's all about love, Jesus, I know what it's about, goes on to try to probe Jesus a little bit more because he, Jesus says, go and do this thing. Go and love people, basically. Go and love God. And the man says, well, who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is it that I'm supposed to love? And we're going to press into this a little bit more in the coming weeks. We're going to really dial into what does it mean to love my neighbor? But for now, what we should see is that this person wants to limit who he is supposed to love. He's not asking, who do I get to love? He's asking, who do I get to shrink my love to? Who do I get to focus my love on? I actually don't want to give love to just anyone indiscriminately. Instead, I want to know who do I not have to love? That's what the man is asking for because he wants to justify himself and how he's loving. We're going to press into that more in a couple of weeks. This idea of who is our neighbor? What are the limits of our love? But for now, what we should see is that love was the thing that was there all along. It just wasn't easy to do. And before we get to the practicality, which we're going to do, we're going to get really practical in this series of who should we love and how do we love. I want to sit in this truth that your whole life 
Our whole life is meant to be pointing in this one direction, to become more loving. Every time you sit down and read your Bible, every time you listen or watch a sermon like this, Every time you do a Bible study, every book you read, every piece of music that you'd listen to, every movie you watch, every conversation you've had with friends, it has all meant God has written it out so that you would become more loving, so that I would become more loving. It's all about us becoming more loving. It is the stuff of life, is love. Love isn't just something we feel, though it is that. Love isn't just um, uh, something that we think about, though that's a part of it. Love isn't even just something that we do, although it's definitely a part of that. Love is actually something we are meant to become. We are meant to become love. Follow with me here for just a second. We learn in 1 John this incredible description that God is love. This kind of totalizing kind of statement. God is love. It's interesting. Uh, and and there, there's nothing else like that in all of scripture. There's no other statement like that that sums up God in this way. He is love. So we know that God is love and we know that Jesus perfectly reveals who God is. So that the scriptures tell us that if you see Jesus, you have seen what God is like. He is the greatest uh, expression of who God is. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that he is love. No greater love has any man than this, than he would lay his life down for his friends is what Jesus says. And then we see Jesus do that exact thing on the cross. We see him doing that exact thing with his very life, laying his life down for people. So we see God is love. Jesus is himself love. And then we learn in the scriptures that we are called to be like Jesus, to imitate him, to become like him. So that, again, in 1 John, it says that when we see him, we will be like him. It's our call to become more like Jesus. The logical conclusion, if you just follow this train of thought, is that we are meant to become love. (laughs) So that the defining characteristic of our life, just like it is, God is love, is Chael is love, is Jen is love, is Rob is love, is Krista is love. Whoever is watching this, you are meant to be love. Not in the exact same way. We, we, we're not God. That's not the point. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is just as that defining characteristic is true of God, that defining characteristic should be true of us. We should be becoming love. We should be people who are known by our, who are acts of love. We are, uh, we should have love as the motivating factor in our actions, the defining posture in our minds, the prevailing feeling in our heart, the, the defining kind of way that we act with other people. When we are becoming people of love Inside, we will become people on the out love on the outside. It can't help it. Actually, what we're going to look at in this series is how you cannot be a loving person and not have loving actions. It's impossible to do so. It's impossible to have a feeling of love and not be moved to loving actions and it truly be the kind of love that God is calling us again. Now, again, all this might sound really familiar. All this to you might be saying, yeah, I've heard this before. And it also can feel really hypothetical, kind of like theoretical. 
and we can quickly brush it off. But imagine with me for just a second, imagine with me for just a second, that the love of God was the defining characteristic of your inner world. That you had an undivided heart, undivided love and devotion to God, that there wasn't anything competing for your affection but for God. What if you had that kind of immersive love that Jesus talks about, and this man talks about, where all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength all are oriented towards love for God? What might be different in your life if that was true? What hurts might be healed if your whole life was caught up in love for God? What freedom might you have uh, over areas in your life where you lack freedom if your whole life was devoted completely and totally to loving God? What if your default position in your life and in your heart was love toward every human being that you encounter? Friends, family, enemies, what if it didn't matter? What if what someone did to you did not in any way affect your love for them? What if at the end of our days, just like Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, if our posture could be love even to our enemies? And not just having a generally, generally kind of good disposition towards people, although that would be better than a lot of what we see. But what if we had a genuine concern and desire all the time to seek the well-being of every human being we encounter, to see them as image bearers and worthy of my love because they are worthy of God's love. How might that change our interactions with people? How might that change our speech with people? How might that change what we do with our time and how we interact with people? What if the default position of our heart was love? And imagine with me for a second, if you loved yourself the way God intended you to love yourself. I don't mean taking a day off and pampering yourself with a spa day, although that's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean just going to the golf course because you've been working too hard. I mean, what if you had someone is, this is going to ignite someone's heart right now. What if you had the same level of affection for yourself that your heavenly father has toward you? What if you loved yourself the way that God loves you? What if you saw yourself the way that God sees you and you genuinely loved and delighted in yourself the way that God delights and loves you? Man, how would that change your interactions with people? How would that help you overcome insecurities? And how would that help you overcome the desire to be competitive with other people? Because it doesn't matter how I'm viewed in other people's eyes. All that matters is I know how my Abba sees me. What if that was a position in our heart? That is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, that the whole thing is pointed to. Actually, if we experience that kind of love in this life, that is eternal life. Fully loved by God, fully loving God, fully loving other people. Guys, that's what it's going to be forever and ever and ever. And what the whole message of the scriptures, we get to experience that right now. This isn't fluffy, kind of feel-good stuff. This is radical, life-changing kind of love that sees God as he really is, sees myself as I really am, and sees other people as they really are, as image bearers of God. How can we right now in this political climate, climate and this situation be the kind of people who are becoming 
love, who are becoming those kinds of people, who don't just know in theory that we're supposed to love, but in the depths of our being understand love. You know, <clears throat> again, the, I, this, uh, there's very few people that are going to watch this and are gonna interact with this and feel like, nah, I don't think that's good. I don't think that we should be loving, right? And, and I think the challenge for most of us is that we agree with this in principle, but the challenge is actually execution. How do we actually do this? And I want us to get there. I want us to spend a few weeks actually talking about this parable of the Good Samaritan. What does it mean to actually love our neighbor? What, what, is, what are we talking about here? But I think that if we're not careful, we'll get too quickly to the practical stuff and we'll miss the, this whole idea that this isn't just about doing loving acts. This is about becoming loving people. It's about becoming love. And I think if we'll set that out ahead of us, and we'll see the acts of love that we do, the, the, the way that we approach the idea of love as something we are meant to become, it actually will help us be on this, this journey for the long haul. It won't just be about things I do that are loving. It will be whether or not I am becoming loving. What if we decided to choose love as the main thing? What if every day in every situation we decided that love would be the main thing that I would choose, that I would be about today? And the truth is we could focus on all the big things that we could do for God. We could focus on all the, the big ideas. Mother Teresa famously said, we can't do great things, only small things with great love. We can't do great things, only small things with great love. So what if we stopped thinking about all the big things we could do or even all the practical things that like feel really overwhelming to love our enemies and like those kinds of things, just shrink it down to say the most simple thing. How can I do this today, whatever it is before me with great love? Actually, I saw with my own eyes how a woman like Mother Teresa can do small acts of great love. Caring for sick people can actually bring transformation to an entire country. Everywhere you go in the country of India, the, mother, the image of Mother Teresa caring for sick people is everywhere. It has marked an entire country with this image of what Jesus is like because of her small things with great love. And I think that's what God is calling you to this week. As I get ready to, to close, I want you to adopt a practice this week. I want you to pay attention this week as you go. Every moment, every interaction, every thought, when, you, when it comes to mind, that's unloving. When you have a, a, a thought that comes to mind about a person or about yourself or about God and you recognize, hey, that doesn't feel like that's a loving posture. I just want you to take note of it. I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel shame about it. I just want you to notice it. Just say, hey, I feel like that thought or that interaction or the thing that I said was not very loving. I want you to just notice it and I want you to, I want you to, to sit in that for a second. And then what I want you to do is I want you to invite God's grace into that moment. Say, Holy Spirit, would you help me in this moment become more loving? Would you show me what it looks like to love here? So I want you just to notice those moments in time this week where there's something in our heart or in our mind other than love, something that we did that was other than love. Just notice it. And then I want you to invite, hold the Holy Spirit into it. Say, help me become more loving. And then let's just see if we adopt that practice this week, how, what does God do in our hearts? How does he stir up love in us? How does he expose our hearts to more of himself? I want you to invite the love of God.
into that situation this week. We're going to have some other questions for you to process with whoever you're watching the live stream with right now for you to, uh, to talk about. We encourage you to do that. There's also going to be a couple resources posted there uh, in, the, in the comment section or in the description right underneath this, this, uh, this video. So I encourage you to go there, especially watch the, the Bible Project video on love. It'll flesh out some of what I wasn't able to flesh out today. Let me pray for you. I pray for my friends, Lord, and I pray for myself that we would become people of love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the love that you, you showed us on the cross, the love that you showed us in your life, would be birthed into our hearts by your spirit, Lord. We know, Lord, that on our own strength and our own ability, we will never be the kind of loving people that you've desired us to be. We know, God, we can't even experience love without that. So I pray, Lord, today that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us to experience love in a deep way today. That in the depths of our beings, we are known, that we know that we are loved by God and made for love. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be overwhelmed this week with a sense and a desire to love our neighbor and to love you and to love ourselves the way you love us. I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace. We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.